Welcome to Real Talk with Razak, where talk goes to get real. This is the show where we take the creative community and we talk about the unspoken, uh, the unwritten, all the things that we want to talk about. What's what's really going on out here? I will say we are deep into a long season two, but we're almost out preparing for season three. I want y'all to get ready for that. Uh, it's going to be much, much different changing it up. Uh, no offense to the creative community. You know, I love you, but you will be uh joined by the rest of the community so instead of just being for the creators out there we're gonna be for everybody so everybody look out for that it's gonna be really good and if i'm gonna go ahead and say this now before we dive into it this is gonna be a special bonus episode for this one i'm actually gonna take some of these questions that i've been getting begin a lot of them from all the different social media email all that so i want to share some of these really good ones i got because i got some really good ones after the last episode so here it goes the first question I'm taking today is from Tanya. Tanya's from Long Beach, and she reached out to me via Instagram. Thanks, Tanya. Love you. And the question is, what should I do after a major event? I start off getting good engagement, but then it fades. Is there something I should do or stop doing? Oh, that's a good question. So in terms of uh, an event, I've looked at Tanya's uh, social media and she isn't a visual artist. She's a very creative person. So it's various things, but I will take it so everybody can digest it. The first thing you want to do is while you're at the event itself, you really want to have the ability for people to find out how to get to you later. So of course, business tar- cards are good. Flyers are good. But what you'll really want to do is have a good old fashioned piece of paper where people can put their email address and get on a mailing list or maybe have it digitally on a pad or, or a laptop there so people can actively sign on into getting your, your newsletter or uh, your social media so you can keep that engagement going. Uh, because if you don't have a way for them to easily contact you later, people's mind will move on, uh, myself included. So you wanna, that's step number one. What you'll want to do after the event, referring to your question specifically, you really want to send out some thank you notes, uh, some just maybe an email, have some posts for your social, everybody with your social media, post pictures of the event itself, uh, what it was like, what you were doing, and don't get really excited and blast them all out the next day. Time release. So the day after you give a thank you with a couple of pictures and then a few days later, give something else. And then you, a few days later, you give, hey, guys, catch my next one, which is going to be on this other date. Then after that, you come back, throw back Thursday to the last event. So people are constantly getting engaged. Uh, another thing that you'll want to do is make sure when you're posting, I'll, you want it to be engaging. You want to have a post that is not always an action item so every time you post something you don't want somebody to have to look at it and you're asking them go click on this go follow that come by this support me there i really like to have a rule where every third one is an action item but in between those just have engaging contact pictures of you pictures of things that they like that you like within the brand so they're just engaged something that makes them feel good and then you'll really notice your engagement going up from that point because it's not just trying to cram sales down their throat but instead give them something to look forward to so then when they when you do say hey come follow me on the twitter on the social meds and all the things that i like to say uh, then they're a lot more inclined to do it because they're not just get constantly being force-fed action items so yeah take take that in mind i really think that's a really good way to start 
Our next question is coming from Scotty J out of Utah, and he writes through Facebook. I would like to get into vending my artwork in more places like trade shows and stuff. <laughs> How do I get more into that? Well, asking you shall receive is one of the first things. You really want to go out there and see what shows are out there, whether it be uh, a larger one, a smaller one, one locally, one that tours. There's a lot of them out there. So you want to go follow them on their uh, or get on their mailing list so you can see when they're accepting call to artists or Every now and again, don't don't feel too sh- sh- scared to sell yourself. And I mean that in the right way. But reach out to them saying, hey, I'm an artist. I really like what you're doing. How can I vend at your place? And a lot of times they'll reach out to you. Uh, m- most places are not in the business of turning you down. They want you to be there. Uh, so that's definitely a, a really good way to get started. And lastly, when you're posting, when you're advertising, when you're putting anything out there, you want to use consistent language. Uh, I'll use hashtags, for example. If every time you post your artwork, you hashtag Utah artist, eventually someone's going to look up Utah artist and they're going to see a bunch of your posts and then they're going to know you are a Utah artist. Reach out to you. So you want to have that consistency there and you'll really find things picking up if you take those steps. Tiffany from Pacoima writes via Facebook, what do you believe the future is with the arts and the Internet? Now, that is a good question. I've talked a little bit about it before in a past episode I've done with Bogo. Shout outs to Bogo out there uh, in terms of the future and the arts. But the Internet, it's really changed the game where there was a time where they were a gatekeeper, a middleman. And that person had to take your artwork and put it into a gallery and see it from there. Now we have the ability to reach far more people at the click of a button. So uh, where I see the future of it going, it actually be a melding between the two. Everyone that decides to spit on a piece of paper and smother it around with a stick off the ground uh, may not be an artist worth presenting to the world. But uh, you also don't want to go back to the days of that very small, closed circle of artists and having that gatekeeper. So I think it's going to be a melding where it will have various sites similar to now where you have your Etsy and you have Behance and you have Model Mayhem and all these outlets where people are able to showcase their work via Internet. I think we're going to start moving further into that. What I really Where I really see the future of it going, and this is coming from experts that I've spoken with, expect augmented reality and virtual reality to take to play a larger role. People will be able to walk through galleries, not necessarily having to be there. So you'll have the VR space where from my home, I can walk through a museum or a gallery and look at your work and purchase that that work there. And then you'll have the augmented reality where. I can walk through a space and see a artist collection, switch it to another artist and walk through that same space and see another artist collection. Uh, So that's really where I see it. It's going to be a melding of the two. So now instead of going to art.com, I just made that up. Instead, you would physically log in, but virtually see everything. So it'll you'll have that three dimensional feel without necessarily having to travel to Paris. So that's what I see coming at. Um, I think that's going to be a beautiful thing. 
Uh, I'm trying to get my hands on some some investments into that area as well. Uh, so yeah, I hope that answered your question. We have Taylor from Atlanta, hometown, um, and this comes via Twitter. Oh, I really get the Twitter. And the question is, what's the deal with pay to play? That is a good question. So pay to play is essentially saying that in order for you to play a gig or to present your work in a designated space, that there is a buy in to it uh, because the venue, the promoters, the lighting, all those people, uh, they're putting in all of the work to be there to get everything you need. Um, so they need to know that it'll be worthwhile and that they'll be able to be compensated. So generally, pay to play is something more like, a, hey, it'll cost this much to be to come into it. And that would include, like, for example, working with uh, Fashion Week in Atlanta. Uh, they have a they have a buy in that includes your models, your staff, the venue, uh, flyers, uh, working with uh, my, past, my past company with Raw, same thing. They have a buy-in to the events. They get you everything you need to set up your work, security, insurance, um, all the various things that comes along with being there. And unless you're going to pay for those yourself, uh, it, it's not going to be free. And a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to uh, have to do, do that. I understand that everybody doesn't want to have to do it, but that is something that has to be done. Uh, I've said it before. You have Beyonce is going to perform at the Staples Center. The Staples Center says, hey, you have to fill X amount of seats. That is, in a sense, her buy-in. They need to know that money will be made. And the moment that an, an artist starts to not be able to fill those seats and not be able to generate the the people that generates the revenue then they stop getting booked for gigs. Um, so you do need to know a little bit of your your value. Uh, if you are at a place where you feel like 50 bucks is too much, then stay under 50, 50 bucks. But once you reach that pay, place where uh, you're more of a Beyonce type status, any place that's talking about 50 bucks is below where you are. So you need to kind of move it up. But understand pay to play that is that is just about everywhere. I mean, there's no places until you've just made it so big. Uh, nobody's just going to pay you to come out celebrity status. There's a there's plenty of opportunities to do that once you get there. But you will have to do a little bit of a, a buy in for guarantee. And then hopefully you you want to make sure that after your buy in, you still have the opportunity to make money, though. That's will be a, a big money maker for you. Um, so, yeah, I hope you enjoyed that. Our next question is coming from Yvonne. Yvonne's from Queens, and she writes via Instagram. How do I go about properly scheduling a gig to keep myself organized? I never know if I'm too busy, organizing my time wrong, or what? Now, that is a good question. Oh, man. And that's something that I've struggled with with a lot of the artists that I've worked with in the past because uh, they will schedule something not realizing that they've overbooked themselves or they'll schedule something to say, oh, I have however many months until it comes and then realize uh, that it came back around once it's crunch time and then they feel like they haven't they don't have enough time. So what I suggest for that is actually fairly simple. Electronic calendars, 
uh, sync them up, have reminders. Um, you'll also want to, and I know this isn't the hugest practice, but uh, you'll, you'll want to have a physical calendar. We're pretty visual people. And unless you know, you're going to be in the habit of going out every day and, or not going out, but every day, checking that calendar, seeing where you are, what's coming up later in the month, uh, having that visual tool on your wall so you can see, oh, wait, I got a gig coming up. Oh, I got that coming up. Um, then you'll be able to really understand because you don't want to sell yourself short and only have one gig every three months because then you're not really maximizing your time. But at the same time, you don't want to overdo it. And now you're having one gig every day. That's that's doing a little bit too much. Uh, I will suggest, and it sounds a little weird, but once you set in that date, work backwards a little bit in terms of your scheduling. So you know if on August 30th, you have a performance and you feel like generally you need three or four rehearsals. All right, look in, space those rehearsals out, talk to your bandmates, uh, things like that. And this way you can see how much time you have. And if you can see, if you see that there's no way you can fit four rehearsals between now and that gig because of other things you have going on, maybe that's not the gig for you. But if you see that you can, do it, own it, stick with it, don't veer from it, but then don't add anything on top of that. Uh, as creators, we're often guilty of uh, saying yes, and I'm a firm believer in uh, not saying yes to everything because that just cannot be the answer. So I hope that answered your question. Uh, calendars, electronic reminders, um, those type of things, and having that written visual tool as well, those are really good. That'll save you a lot of time and energy and heartache. Now we have Morgan coming from Dallas. Oh, I love me some Dallas. And I got this one via email. This one says, I hate to be that person that asks dumb questions all the time. And I understand that people say there are no dumb questions, but how do I know if a question is actually worth asking? And I like this question. Uh, well, it, it, there, it is true. There are no dumb questions, uh, but you do at the end of the day, what I, the, the rule of thumb is if you have not been given the information, it is totally fine for you to ask that question. What you'll want to do before asking is make sure you weren't given the information already. One of the more common things that I come across is I'll send out an email that says, all right, hey, everybody, uh, we'll meet on. I'm going to make some stuff up here, but we'll meet on December 1st at 3 p.m. at Venue XYZ. And I'll immediately get a reply saying, "What? Where? Where are we meeting at?" And that is an indicator that the person did not read it. Or we get to uh, November twenty eighth, and the person's like, "Hey, what time do we be there? Should we be there?" And it's like, "All right, so that means you're not reading." Uh, before you ask a question, just go back and read the material. Uh, there, you'll always want to be able to take information of a specific topic and put in a put it in a specific place uh, like filing it away you can do that with your emails you can do that on your hard drive so this way before things happen you can go back check your information or maybe write a set of highlighted notes for yourself the who what where when wise because generally anybody that you're working with should give you that uh, I, I know that it doesn't always happen, but before you ask a question, especially if it's a who, what, where, when, why, go look through the information that you were already given, especially when you're dealing with uh, things that happen over time. 
what a lot of people will give you tons of information day one and then we just won't go back and look at it. So you want to go back and check that out. Um, so if you do that, I guarantee you'll be able to cut down on the amount of times you feel like it's a dumb question because then, you know, for a fact, you've looked through your information. What you need is not there. So you got to get it. And at that point, uh, listen, how can that be dumb? You have a question, but don't be scared to ask a question at the at, at its base point. A person wants you to know as much as you can. And if you have to ask to figure it out, a person rather hear a question and tell you the answer than find out late that you don't know what it is. So there we go. We're going to take this last question. I want to save some for another day. And I really appreciate this, everybody. I, I really like all the questions that's been coming in. I think I'm going to start doing this more often. So send in those questions. Uh, you can get your shout out. As a matter of fact, next time I'll start giving Instagram shout outs and stuff like that. So people can follow you and uh, we can build this community together. But last question is coming from Louis or Luis. I'm not sure. And this is coming all the way from Melbourne. All right. Let's go over. Let's get out of the country with Melbourne. I appreciate that. And this is coming via Facebook. The question is, should new photographers make prints? If so, how should they be numbered? Ooh, that's a good one because you don't want to devalue your work. And uh, it's just like when you're thinking about autographs, the more you put an autograph or the more you put a, a copy of your work out there, the least valuable your work becomes because then it's less rare. Now, all of us aren't in a position to where that really matters. Uh, some of us, we just want to put that work out there. And especially this person is a photographer. So they definitely want to have more out there when you're first getting started so people can get accustomed with your work. But there isn't just a set number of prints to make. I will say this because we're living in the age of technology. If you're going out to a specific showcase to showcase your work, I would suggest having your main uh, work that you want to present, have your centerpiece and have that ready, have a, enough prints within reason to where you didn't bust your bank open, just sending out a bunch of prints. Uh, you'll want to, Look at the expected attendance of that event. If you know the expected attendance of event is 300 people, you don't need to go get 4,000 prints made. You'll only need to get, realistically, 100 will be good. But if you're going to have multiple uh, photos, then maybe 10, 15 prints of each one. Um, but with this, with being in this age of technology, we can put various collections on a laptop, on a tablet, and let people scroll through them digitally. So this way, if they really want it, they can order it from you, then they can order it at, at the size that they find appropriate, and you didn't necessarily have to spend any money ahead of time. So that's a really good way. We gotta really think about uh, incorporating and moving forward in our times, because we're not gonna be able to go backwards. That's just not an option. Now we have Jasmine, or Hasmine, as I like to say, coming from Brooklyn. There's another one coming in email. I love it. The question is, what is the best way to approach an invoice? Sometimes I want to send them in early. Sometimes I wait. But there's never been an official process. Well, actually, there is a little bit of an official process. Uh, but it depends on who you're dealing with. Uh, you always would want to send it in early because... 
Your invoice is how you are paid and you don't want to wait on you being paid. Uh, so you'll definitely want to send that in as early as possible. Understand that everyone does not pay invoices right when you send them. So you have things like net 15. What net, net 15 is, is 15 business days uh, before or after or whatever. That's when the invoice will be filled. A lot of places do that. Uh, a lot of people want uh, want to be paid beforehand, but it depends on what it is. But in the context of our creative community out here, you will want to send in that invoice as soon as possible because that's your money. If someone asks you for an invoice, do it as soon as possible because that, that person essentially, essentially just asked you in a very professional way, hey, send me the way to pay you. Send me what I owe you by not getting that. And then you wait until the day that you think you should have been paid and saying, hey, I never got my money. Well, that person's like, well, I asked you for the invoice. If a person has to create a invoice for you, you should really just consider being a little bit more on top of that. Uh, that's your business. You're, that person's having to put in extra work just to pay you. And rem at rule of thumb, you always want to make it easy for people to give you their money. You don't want people to have to work to give you their money. So uh, invoices, I always say send them in as soon as possible. Worst case scenario is once you send in that invoice, they'll be like, okay, great. We'll, it'll be paid on this day. Easy. That will take us to the end of this very special bonus episode where I, were where I was able to take the questions from you, the people that are making it happen, who I do it out here for. Uh, please bring in more questions. If you want to find me on Facebook, Real Talk Razak. If you want to find me on Instagram or Twitter, it's Real Talk underscore Razak. Uh, there's not a lot of Razaks with Real Talk, so generally if you type them in, it's pretty easy to find. Of course, come over to the website. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I really appreciated this. So y'all have a good one out here. I'm looking forward to seeing y'all again next week. And be ready. Season 3 coming in hot. <laughs>